Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Hi, I'm Bill's defensive end Greg Russo, and you're listening to Nate and the Fellas on Circling the Wagons podcast on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Go Bills! Welcome to the Circling the Wagons podcast, a podcast discussing the Bills all year round with interviews, news, recaps, and insightful fan discussion. Most times, here's your host and lifelong Bills fan, Nate. He is the host of Cover One's Disguised Coverage that you can find on YouTube and wherever you listen to podcasts. He is a film buff, a salary capologist, an all-year-round Christmas tree lover, and I'd like to welcome Anthony Prohaska on the Circling the Wagons podcast. Anthony, it is so good to finally talk to you. How are you doing? I am. I was already good, but I'm even better now because you mentioned the Christmas tree. I'm so excited that you mentioned the tree. You have no idea how happy that makes me. <laughs> I, is it happy enough to leave a Christmas tree up all year round and never take it down? Is that how happy it makes That's you? That's exactly <laughs> how how happy uh, it makes me. And it's funny too because you know. And so for those who don't know, yeah, I have a I have a little mini Christmas tree um, in the office where I record, and I leave it up all year round, and I change the garland and little ornaments and stuff to match different holidays for the month. So for like Valentine's Day, it'll be like hearts and red garland and. Uh, you know, for Easter, it's like pastel colors and things like that to match the different holidays. And I can always tell when there's new people who watch the show for the first time because someone will be on YouTube and I'll get a comment like, is that a Christmas tree in his background? Like it's June. And I'll be like, you must be new to the show. Let me tell you why there's like a tree. And so, yeah, anytime anyone shouts it out, like I just, I have a huge appreciation for it. It's the, it's the little things like the little Easter eggs that you can tell when someone pays attention and the details and yeah, it brings me a lot of joy. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm really happy we could do this. There's certain people um, that I've seen through social media and seen their work and content and like, I'm just like, oh, you know, I think I would get along with that guy. I think I would get along with that person, he or she. And uh, and you are one of those guys. I feel like we share a similar sense of humor. Um, but the good thing is, like I mentioned, you understand the film. I am not a film person. You understand the X's and O's. You understand the salary cap. I understand the salary cap from a very basic level. Like you mentioned with Greg and Greg Tom set before you guys have done your, your salary cap to explain podcast before each, mm-hmm. each season. And uh, you mentioned that he's like a partner at the firm and you're like a junior partner at the firm. Yeah. And it's like, I'm like the intern, like, right. Like, <laughs> like I just got out of college. I'm just like, I think I can like, you know, add numbers and subtract numbers, but yeah, that's a, uh, I, that's one of like my favorite like metaphors or analogies uh, that I've ever come with. Yeah. He's his cap knowledge is, is tremendous and how much he goes down the rabbit hole. And yeah, he's, 
he's the he's the name partner and I'm one of those like senior partner. I think I've climbed up a little. I've moved from junior to senior partner, but he's still got his name there on the wall and you know, I'm still plotting his demise behind his back to get that name <laughs> off the wall so I can climb and take control. Of that. You're like, you're like Saul, right? And better call Saul. And he's like Hamlin, Hamlin and McGill, right? Like you're just trying to get, you're, you're trying to get up there, right? Awesome. Awesome <laughs> reference. I am. So I'm a huge breaking bad guy and I've never, I've never watched better call Saul. And I have been binging it relentlessly for about the last three, four weeks. Uh-huh. Like my wife and I have just been going off with it. And yeah, I love that you brought it up. We're going to get along so well. We already are. And yeah, I am. Yeah, I'm Saul. I am just a oh, great reference. You brought up the tree. You brought up a great TV show. This is just good. It's it, We're at such a high right now. We should probably just stop. Let's stop. No yes. I don't even want to talk about the bills. Let's just, just let's just vibe. Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> if you like that stepbrother scene where he's like, did we just become best friends? Yo. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, well, I will talk bills with you, um, Anthony, because there's so many cool, interesting topics for, you know, it's funny, it's, it's like, I, I definitely have, uh, you mentioned this with Kendall last night, like, you know, you feel like you're getting blood from a stone with all of the, there's not new news coming up, there's not new mm-hmm. narratives coming up um, within, you know, the season, because I mean, we're, we're at peak off season now, it's not even training camp, we're still a few weeks from training camp, several weeks from training camp. Yeah. And there's, there's, there's a lot of unanswered questions that will most likely go unanswered into training camp until we finally get to see them in action, get to see what happens. Um, one of the, the good thing about having you on is that like, like it's all fresh because I've had, I haven't had your perspective yet. Mm-hmm. So for me, I want to, first thing I want to ask you about is Jordan Poyer. Okay. okay. Jordan Poyer was part of uh mandatory uh, mini camp uh, this past week. Uh, he was there. He was part of it. Um, there as, as, I'm sure a lot of people know he has a new agent now. He has a power agent, not just any agent. He has power agent, Drew Rosenhaus, as his agent. You don't get a guy like that, in my opinion, unless you plan to make a move. This isn't like, well, we'll see what happens next season. They want something done this season. They want an extension or a trade. Um, right now, the Bills don't have a ton of cap space, so there's not a whole lot. But like you always say, there's 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 plenty of uh, – there's. Pl- what is it? In the, oh God! Now I'm money in the like, banana stand. Like, yeah, there's always yeah. money in the banana stand. Thank you. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I was gonna say there's plenty of money in the banana stand. I'm like, no, that's giving it away. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so as you see it right now, um, there's it's it's way early, and these extensions probably won't get done before training camp. It'll probably happen if it will sometime during training camp. Do you see an extension happening? Is there a way that they can move money around? Ooh. They've already released Jay Kumro this past weekend, and then they brought him back on. Um, that could be a move to do so, to free up some cap space. Um, are they just doing that just because that's what Brandon Bean does? Or do you think he's kind of posturing himself for a potential extension for Jordan Poyer? You know, it, it's it's always so tough with Bean because he's tremendously calculated and he plays his cards close to the chest. Like he does not give anything away. Very rarely does anything come, you know, leaked out. And I, I think with the Kumaro move, it's just more kind of like navigating the waters a little bit and creating a little more space here and there. I don't know if it's necessarily for, he, he did it a couple of times last year too. And in the previous years where it's not necessarily for something and he'll release somebody or somebody goes away and everybody's like, Oh, they must be making a move for so-and-so. And then nothing happens. They just like to have that buffer and they like to have that space. Um, 
So, you know, it could be for something in very, in particular, but I think more than not, it's just an opportunity to c- continue to have that wiggle room. He mentioned it a couple times in interviews, how, you know, after they did the, the Von Miller deal and Stefan Diggs and, you know, where that kind of changed things and how they had to start to create space to kind of come back to where they wanted to be. And then as far as Poyer, uh, I, I, I don't see a deal happening this off season, just because I think the Drew Rosenhaus ad, like you mentioned, like a power agent, like Rosenhaus, he is, there's very few agents that like fans know of. And the ones that always hit me are Scott Boris in major league baseball and Drew Rosenhaus in the NFL. And the reason they're known is because they are sharks and they represent the biggest guys and they go after, you know, the biggest, you know, payday opportunities. And Poyer, a lot of it's going to come down to just what he's looking for and what he's asking for. You know, I, I mentioned a couple numbers and things last week. Where he sits right now, he's currently from an average annual value perspective of how much he makes. He's 13th amongst all NFL safeties. And that is, that's like kind of unreal. Like with the all pro level that he's been playing at and how valuable he is and what he does. And, you know, you've got his teammates, you know, guy, his running mate in Micah Hyde saying that, you know, that's a guy that you can't replace. And I wouldn't be the player that I am today without him. Um, you know, he's got a market value right now of, uh, $10.7 million per year. Um, contract that's projected for him is two years, $21.5 million, which would make him 12th in average annual value for safeties based on some new deals that have happened. Um, but just with where they're at right now, with how Bean traditionally operates and where they are with the cap, I don't see a deal happening this offseason. I think it's something that would get kicked into next year as they start to figure out, okay, what are we doing with Jordan Poyer? What are we doing with Tremaine Edmonds? What are we doing with Dawson Knox? They've got a lot of contracts that are looming. And then even, you know, kicking another one down the road, potentially you've got Ed Oliver coming up after his fifth year option. And then Mike Hyde is up in two years as well. Like, so there's all these things. I think they're trying to push it a little more and kind of see where the chips fall. Um, and then again, in, in terms of making space, the, the easiest way for everything is you, you always take, you take someone who, you know, is going to be around here for the long time. You convert some of their base salary to a signing bonus, which gives that player that money up front. So they're happy and they'll take it. And then that signing bonus money is prorated over the remaining years of the contract. So if you know, give them an $8 million signing bonus and there's four years left, it's $2 million per year. So that way it lowers the cap hit for this individual year and you spread it out. The negative with it is if you cut that player, that's where your dead cap comes in and you put yourself in a hole. That's why you only want to use it for the Tredavious Whites and the Deion Dawkins and the Stefan Diggs, guys you know that are here for the long haul. So there's always ways, you know, to get some money in the banana stand. Um, and I think they could if they really wanted to get Poyer done now, but just based on what they have going on, combined with what I think he's going to be looking for, especially with Rosenhaus, I don't see it happening this offseason. Man, that would be uh, ideal, I think, in my scenario or a lot of Bills fans scenario where he plays under the current contract. They win a Super Bowl. They either decide to extend him or he leaves, but they still have that ring no matter ring. what. Yeah. It, it like and, and and you always it's it's so tough, I think, in general for people to think, you know, past the season. Like I was looking at the draft and yeah, there were some positions I think that they could have drafted mm-hmm. as opposed to other positions. But then you remember like they're not drafting for this season. Like this is all a lot of like, you know, a lot of in the future things. Like there's still a draft next year. If they don't get, you know, maybe I wanted them to draft another guard. They can still draft yeah. that guard high in the next year, um, in next season's draft. And that could be the, the same thing with um, safety. But yeah. as it stands right now, you have a choice between DeMar Hamlin or Jaquan Johnson uh, to back up 
Jordan Poyer or to, to become Jordan Poyer next season as it stands right now, as much as you know about this, these guys, I'm going to go Jaquan Johnson just because he's the official backup of the Circling the Wagons podcast. I love him. Every time he's one of those guys that, that kind of reminds me of, I don't know if you remember Jabari Greer playing. Oh, yeah. like he was, he was one of those guys that like always flashed when he got the opportunity, but never, uh, but it wasn't until guys left. Like it wasn't until Nate Clements left or Antoine mm-hmm. Winfield or whoever it was left that these guys actually got a chance to shine. I know he doesn't have the athletic ability that Jordan Poyer does, but between those two guys, who do you see as, as the better backup at this point in each of their careers? Right now, right now, if, if something happened, knock on wood, I'm very superstitious. If something happened to, you know, Hyder Poyer, I would be much more comfortable with Jaquan Johnson going in there. Also, I'm a big Jaquan Johnson fan. My favorite college football team is the University of Miami. So I've been a fan of Jaquan since he's been there. He was a captain there. Just he played phenomenally and he was a leader both on and off the field. So I'm a huge fan of his, but I just think he's, he's at a quality backup level overall. Now, the problem is with Jaquan Johnson, the difference really with him and Hamlin, Hamlin, you have that overall versatility. Hamlin is built more in the mold of the Hyde and Poyer type thing where he's more interchangeable between free safety and strong safety. He can play single high safety by himself. He can play in a two high look. He can come down and cover in the slot in man or zone. He gives you more scheme ability and versatility and multiplicity on your defense. Jaquan Johnson is built more to be in around the line of scrimmage in the box safety. He is good and coming up and setting the edge at blitzing, functioning around the line of scrimmage. The deeper you get him and the more in space you get him, he can still function, but that's not his overall strength. So if he were to step in, I think you lose some of that versatility potentially that you have with Hyde and Poyer or even a Hamlin type. But based on, you know, again, sample size and what we've seen so far combined with, you know, playing well when you have the opportunity. Um, yeah, it, it would be Jaquan Johnson for me right now based on what we've seen. Now, you mentioned um, just recently that the Bills' defense has quickness but not speed, mm. right? So uh, you talk about going from a Jordan Poyer to a Jaquan Johnson. Like You, you, you even say this, like, Jordan Poyer doesn't necessarily have long-distance speed, but he has quickness. Mm-hmm. Like, you're suffering even more speed and quickness by going to either one of these guys yeah is that is that is that true is that a true true statement oh a a thousand percent you know and i think it's for both for Hyde and poyer they're both quicker than they are fast there i think the easiest way to put it for everyone like everybody's played mad at some point these guys are like 88 to 90 madden speed guys they're not burners you know they're not tremendously slow but they're not known for their speed and they're both quicker than they are fast and yeah, if you're going down to Hamlin and or Jaquan Johnson, in this case, Jaquan Johnson, you're losing even more speed and you're losing some quickness as well. So you're losing that mental side of it. You're also losing some physical ability, which diminishes the overall role. And again, that ties in with Jaquan Johnson's limitations. Like he, he's very smart. He's intelligent. He's physical. He just lacks that physical piece, you know, the size and the speed, the, the things that you te- technically and you want to look for from a physical measurables perspective. That's where he has his limitations and that's where, you know, he's hindered a bit. But again, we've seen guys succeed. Granted, it was at corner, but we saw a guy in Levi Wallace who didn't have size or speed or length or strength or height or anything. And we saw him be a quality starter for years based on the coaching and the scheme. So, you know, all wouldn't be lost, but if anything were to happen to Hyder Poyer again, knock on wood, um, I think it would be almost catastrophic based on how important they are to the defense. Well, let's, let's dive into the defensive line now. Um, on, 
on this side of the ball, there have been so many different additions. So many people have gone. So for example, like I'll start with defensive tackle. Mm-hmm. Like the Bills have lost Harrison Phillips. Um, FAO bought it to free agency. They cut Starla Tulele. Those are three defensive tackles that were on their team that were active most games. Then they bring in Tim Settle Jr., Daquan mm-hmm. Jones. They bring back um, Jordan Phillips. And on paper, at least on paper, it looks like they've gotten better. Like well, you've you've watched the film on these guys. You've you've seen you know the guys that have left, the, the guys that have come in. Um, I'm excited as a Bills fan. When you see what they've added, are you as excited as I am to see these these new guys come in and think it could even be it could be even better than it was last season? I'm very excited. I. One, just from the defensive line in and of itself, the Bills needed more of a presence on the interior to free up the linebackers at the second level to make plays. I I feel like I'm somewhat known as a Tremaine Edmonds apologist, and I hate it because I, I don't think he's like fantastic. I don't think he's the end-all be-all. I just think he gets blamed so much for so many things that happen. And people don't take into account what is asked of him and how hard his role and responsibility is. And there are plenty of times where he has to two gap, which basically means he has to make contact with his guy and he has to be responsible for the gap to his left and the gap to the right. So he basically has to like look over both shoulders. And a lot of times you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, and you're wrong either way. Because if you go left, the running back can easily go right. If you go right, the running back can easily go left. And then people look at it and they're like, oh. Tremaine Edmonds messing up again because the Bills haven't had two gapping or physical bodies up front that can take up blockers and, you know, prevent guys for prevent linemen from getting to the second level. Their defensive line guys on the interior, aside from Starla Tulele, but even Starla Tulele reduced weight and got skinnier. Their guys up front have been more like the Ed Olivers. Those guys are one gapping penetrators. They are designed to get up field and attack right away. Ed Oliver's strength isn't going to be sitting there holding up a guard in a center and allowing people to flow behind him. He's trying to penetrate and get aggressive and make a play. The comparison I always want to make is Ray Lewis is one of the best linebackers of all time. The Ravens, who do they always have in front of him? Sam, Sam Adams, the late Tony Saragusa. And then when those guys went away, they made it a priority to get Haloti Nada from Oregon and protect Ray Lewis again. How many, if you look at those Ray Lewis highlights, how many times is Ray Lewis coming up and taking on a guard and shedding him and making a play? No, he's running sideline to sideline or he's knifing in the backfield because he has that, you know, freedom. I know some people are going to be like, you think Tremaine Edmonds is Ray Lewis? And I do not. That's not what I'm saying. But you have the addition of Daquan Jones, who can two-gap and take up guys on the interior. Jordan Phillips, who everybody remembers from his sack production when he was with Buffalo, the last couple of years in Arizona, when healthy, he was functioning in more of almost like a two-gapping, run-stuffing kind of role, taking on blockers and being strong at the point of attack as opposed to being a penetrator. And then you've got the Tim Settle, who offers some of that pass rush versatility in addition to you know seeing what he can be in the run. And then you've got Ed Oliver. I like what they built from an interior defensive line perspective because it helps the linebackers and it gives you multiplicity and versatility up front to potentially run different fronts and looks on the defensive line that they haven't in previous years because they've got new body types and guys with different skill sets, which allow them to potentially work in some new formations defensively and schematically. I feel like each season for the Buffalo Bills, there's one player on the roster where it's like, I like you, like, just let me love you, right? <laughs> you know, like, like there are things about let me your love game. you. Let me love you. I, why won't you let me love you? Before, like, it's so like two years ago, it was Dawson Knox with the drops, right? Like, oh, yeah. Like, he just, it was just like, you know, it's there. Like, just so put it together, man. And he did just last. Catch the ball. <laughs> 
<laughs> so he would come up with this like circus catch highlight real catch and you'd be like oh my god and then the next play would hit him right in the hands he'd drop and you'd be like what are you doing why are you such an enigma just catch the ball <laughs> exactly exactly so what i feel like last season it was like it kind of switched because dawson knox was having success people started looking more at tremaine edmonds like hey how come you're not having as much success yeah i liken it to this and let me know what your thoughts are anthony like when josh allen finally got stefan diggs it was like okay you have no excuses anymore. Like we've put a better offensive line around you. Now you have the weapons, like prove to us that you're a franchise quarterback. Yeah. This season, they went and did that kind of on the defensive line. Like we, we haven't even mentioned Von Miller, but Mm -hmm. obviously huge addition. Now you mentioned all the defensive tackles to keep Tremaine Edmonds clean of, and and I love the comparison of Ray Lewis. Like every single Ray Lewis thing is like, yeah, he's just, he's just running sideline to sideline. Absolutely. No one's getting upfield to block him. That a perfect analogy. Do you see this kind of as their, uh, they're kind of looking at it in a similar way. Obviously, it's a different position, but hey, we're doing everything we can to see if you're really a franchise middle linebacker. Now prove to us, take that next step, and then if if you do, then you know all of our assumptions, you know, have finally they they've all come to fruition. We mm-hmm. know that you're the guy. If not, we need to start looking outside because you're going to be making you know potentially $20 million or whatever the case is as a franchise middle linebacker, you'll probably be, get paid by somebody. Um, do you think that could be, you know, maybe in, in the back of their minds, it, it one bill's drive? I think it's, I think it's part of the whole picture. I think, you know, option one or priority one with it is like, listen, we need to retool the defensive line to allow us to combat NFL offenses in the way that we need to in this day and age. Right. And then a byproduct of that is it also helps Tremaine Edmonds which again ties into how you have to stop NFL offenses today. Cause basically, you know, to kind of summarize what's going on is defenses now are trying to, they're trying to play with light boxes. And so the boxes, you know, from the tackles, the offensive tackles about like three to five yards into the defense, that box inside there, right? That's your, that's your box. The bills are like many teams, in the NFL going with light boxes. So usually you see four down defensive linemen, you see two linebackers. The Bills oftentimes can get outnumbered in that box. There's usually more linemen and more gaps than there are defenders to plug those gaps and take on those linemen. And then you add in the fact that the Bills are a nickel defense, which means their closest other box defender is going to be Taron Johnson, who again is a nickel defender, smaller guy. So you either have to bring down a safety to try and make the math work and make things fit. And teams now are trying to play more. And instead of playing one gap or two gap, they're trying to play a gap and a half and being aggressive and trying to get penetration, but also staying under control enough that they can still cover a secondary gap based on what is happening in the run fit and based on what's happening up front. And when you start to play more gap and a half, you start to plug things up, you start to move things to the sideline. And it's about gumming up the works to allow your second and third level defenders to come and make a play. And with what Leslie Frazier has talked about this off season as well, which Tremaine had been saying, you know, he's come out right and said it, we want to see more splash plays, you know, those flash plays from him. I think adding those horses up front a little bit uh, in on the interior and also with Von Miller, who he's going to see work like from the offense, you can't leave him one-on-one or if you do, he's going to give you problems. So you're going to have to give him a tight end help or a running back to chip or double team with offensive linemen, which leaves Ed Oliver one-on-one who he saw the fifth most double teams last year amongst all the, def- all defenders that had, um, you know, we're in the top 50 of pass rush win rate. There's all these weapons up front that the offense has to account for, which 
allows Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano to both pr- play more free. And I, I think, again, number one priority was give us this versatility and scheme ability up front to combat NFL offenses in this modern way as we continue to grow and evolve and self-scout. And then again, the like an immediate byproduct of that is we help out Tremaine Edmonds and now we get to see, because this is now like the third iteration of a defensive line that they, because the last three years, they just keep, whether it's the draft or free agency, they're just bringing in guys left and right. And, you know, maybe again, you could still be like, well, maybe you guys aren't bringing in the right guys. But at some point you start to have to look and be like, okay, no matter what we've done, you are continuing to play at, you know, X, but we need you to jump and play to Y. And no matter what we do, you're not jumping to Y. We feel more comfortable moving on from you. So I think that's that's definitely in play. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. So let's stick with the defensive line. And you mentioned Von Miller and the defensive ends. Um, You mentioned on your podcast that you think... Uh, Ed Oliver is the second best pass rusher on the defensive line, along with Von Miller. And if we could just get one more defensive end to obviously not get to a Von Miller level, but to get to a better level that they've been, then then they have been um, the past few years. Who do you see it being, um, if you had to take a guess, I think most people would guess Greg Rousseau. Uh, You mentioned he's probably not the best pass rusher. It's more of like maybe an AJ Epinesa, like, mm. but he's an elite run defender. Could you mention, could you talk about like the guys in pecking order? So you're talking AJ Epinesa, um, Greg Russo, Boogie Basham. Like, where do you see these guys lining up? What are their strengths and weaknesses compared to like where we've seen them? And like, you know, where do they, which one do you see possibly stepping up to mm. play opposite of, of Von Miller? That's an awesome question. First and foremost, that got me really excited. Um, in that pecking over order overall, it's Gregory Rousseau. I think he offers you not a lot in pass rush productivity at this point for a couple of reasons, which we'll talk about. But like you mentioned, he's an elite run defender. Just what he did last year as a rookie, as a raw, inexperienced guy coming up and just being physical and understanding gaps and understanding responsibility and how to force things inside. And he played a little bit on his own, you know, gap and a half where he would get upfield and take away the outside and then shed and get back inside and make a tackle. He used his length and his strength to his advantage and multiple times, you know, led all defenders or all defensive linemen all in stops last year and then was fifth in run stop win rate, which again is tremendous for this inexperienced guy. But from a pass rush perspective, I think he's de- he's definitely not there yet. And, you know, he's even said it himself, you know, coming into this offseason and coming into camp and OTAs and everything, his number one thing was he wants, he mentioned it multiple times, he kept saying moves, counters, secondary moves, setting things up to come back later in the flick, doing something in the first quarter that he can set up for later in the third and fourth and crunch time. That's his biggest hindrance, having a pass rush plan, having a pass rush package, having initial moves, secondary moves, counters. He's winning because of his physical gifts and his knowledge and his intensity, but he doesn't have the technicality. AJ Epinesa, when it comes to a pass rush perspective, he has more of the technicality. You see the violence in the hands. You see more technique. You see more quickness. You see the ability to shed. You see the ability to rip and stay clean. He's got, he's got really good hand technique, 
but you don't see it consistently. And then from a run defense perspective, he can get too upfield at times or he gets too far inside and then sets up the outside and, you know, kind of creates lanes um, naturally for the offense. But he's changed his game a lot this year. And he's, he's another one who I, I, I don't want to give him a pass, but I just really think it also has to be taken into account. He gets drafted in the, that COVID offseason. And so it's not a normal offseason. And it's already hard getting acclimated to the NFL, both on and off the field, let alone doing it in a COVID offseason, let alone doing it when you come in and you're like 280 pounds. And they're like, hey, we want you to lose about like 15 to 20 and change everything you've ever known about playing defensive line. So you're changing everything you've ever done and you're doing it on the fly in the NFL. That's a lot to ask of you. And so this year he's coming into year three, but I really think that first year in the NFL was hindered and I think his growth was stunted. So I'm very interested to see what he can be um, in year three, but I would put him as number two overall in that pecking order of the young guys behind Gregory Rousseau. And then Basham is third for me. Um, I'm interested to see what he is this year with the weight, with the drop in weight. You know, he played at a heavier weight last year than he really ever had in college. He's, he's shed significant weight down into, uh, he wants to stay around like the um, he's trying to stay in the 260 to 265 range, which is his goal for the season, which is about, you know, like 10 to 15 pounds lighter than what he was, um, last year. And, you know, Frazier made some comments last year about all three of those guys, you know, and this year they need to know what they're going to get out of them every single day in practice and in games. And then you add up just Basham playing at that unexpected weight and what Frazier said, and it starts to make like, okay, did, Maybe he didn't apply himself really like he needed to last year. And then Basham comes out and says, like, the question is, you know, what was your biggest takeaway from last year? And his biggest takeaway was like, oh, you got to bring it like each and every day and each and every week, which all adds up to be like, so was he not giving it like 110% every day? Is that why maybe he was a little heavier? Is that why he didn't play? Um, I wasn't the highest on him coming out of Wake Forest. I thought he was a higher floor guy, but low ceiling guy. But I am interested to see what he can be with, with the weight change and how much of a force does he become on the, on the outside? Because a lot was talked about him being inside outside versatile, but with all the additions on the interior and him shedding the weight, it looks like he's going to be an outside guy primarily, which he was last year, even at the bigger weight, um, over 90% of his snaps came on the edge, either the right or the left. Um, so he would be third in that list for me, um, of those young guys. And if any one of them takes a jump and can be a force opposite of Von Miller and help out at Oliver, it's a huge boost for the defense. Yeah. I mean, I love the, the fact that, uh, you're a film buff, not only for watching the X's and O's, but also the press conferences and getting all those, yeah. you know, minutia of, of every single, you know, what they, what they're saying, what they meant. I know you mentioned on, on your episode that like Von Miller, like what, why he actually came here was, yes. was a, was a, was a big deal. If you'd like, I mean, now's the time to elaborate on that because I think a lot of people missed it. And I think when you, when you mentioned it, I think, I, I had the same feeling you did that you don't say that without purpose. If you're just going through the motions, you have a reason for saying, so if you could, if you could elaborate on that, I, th I think that was a, an excellent point. Sure. Um, I literally have the quote right in front of me, so I'll read it. Um, basically in, in mandatory minicamp last week, Von Miller was asked about just like a generic question that everybody gets asked. Like if you're a new player, like, Oh, you know, how's your relationship with Sean McDermott? You know, what do you think? And he easily could have been like, you know, it's good. I respect, you know, Sean McDermott. It's, you know, good to be here. And he's a smart guy, yada, yada. And he said a little bit of that. But what he also said was, quote, honestly, my very first conversation with Coach McDermott, it was one that made me come here. 
Right when I flew here, I was still on the fence about coming to Buffalo. But when I talked to Coach McDermott, I just felt his authenticity. I felt that he was genuine. I felt that he was real. And I felt like that was a coach I want to play for. And you know, it's funny when I, when I did the show and I read that there were several people that were like, he's probably just saying that he's probably just playing it up. And like you mentioned, I just don't think you go into that level of detail. If that's not true, you easily could have just generic talked your way out. And, and some guys do that. Tremaine Edmonds is a guy who does that when everybody's like, Hey, you know, what are you focused on this off season? He's like, Oh, you know, just like getting better and doing what I can to be better. And they're like, Oh, cool. But like, what specifically? And he's like, you know, just getting better and doing what I can to get better. And you're like, okay, cool. You're not going to give us anything. Von Miller could have easily done that. He's been through countless press conferences and countless interviews. And maybe he is that smart that he can Jedi mind trick everybody and plant this little nugget. And maybe it's all a lie. And maybe he hates Sean McDermott. He just came here for the money, which is all very possible. But yeah, I don't think you drop that nugget um, and that detail and go into that level of detail and explanation unless it's true. Or I guess, again, he could be a liar and a psychopath. We don't know, but I think it was true. And, you know, he mentioned multiple times in that, in in that presser about he wants the legacy part. And he said it would be a win-win. He's like, I want to be that first guy and the only guy who's won three different Super Bowl, who's won a Super Bowl with three different teams. I want that for my legacy. And if I can do that and Buffalo gets a Super Bowl, then it's a win-win for both parties. He wouldn't have come here if he didn't think he had the opportunity to increase his legacy and his lineage, he mentioned that multiple times. He is very into it as he should be. He's a hall of famer. He is into his legacy, his lineage, what he's remembered for his total sacks, his super bowl wins and accomplishments. I also think he's a guy selfishly that is probably like, I want to beat. And he mentioned it a little bit in the press conference that he thinks is a good team and he wants to be that little drop that overflows the cup and pushes them to the super bowl. He wants to be known for that. And he wouldn't take the risk of potentially, you know, coming to a new team if he didn't think that it would help his legacy and push him further. And again, I don't think he would have given that detail about Sean McDermott um, if he didn't truly believe it. And but again, that's something that I think a lot of us have known. Sean McDermott is highly respected amongst players and coaches in this league. And it was just cool to see a bona fide Hall of Famer come out and be like, you know, I was on the fence, but it was Coach McDermott that made me come here. Um, granted, I know some people are still going to be like, no, it was because they gave him one hundred twenty million dollars, but you know, to each their own. Well, a, a number of different things there. First thing is is that this isn't like a second year guy. Like this is a 34 year old veteran. Like you yeah. said, future Hall of Famer. Like he's had many coaches. I know he's only played with two different teams, but there's been you know coaching turnover in in Denver over the years. You know he's been there for a while, and you know he just had you know Sean McVay as his head coach. So he's yeah. seen multiple head coaches, including college. Um, mm-hmm. So he's so he's seen that. So for him to say that, um, I th- I think that means a lot. But it also gets me excited because. Like you mentioned, like this could be, you know, the drip that like helps, you know, create this a Super Bowl team. Like I remember seeing, um, I think it was, I think it was Judge Mathis from the Air Raid Hour, like pointed out like this clip on YouTube or whatever of um, after the Super Bowl, you know, Von Miller and Aaron Donald hugging Mm. and Aaron Donald's like, you pushed me to get to this level. And Mm. you're talking about one of the best defensive players in the NFL, if not potentially in, in history, maybe. Yes. I mean, Aaron Donald is one of the best defensive players of all time. Uh, hands down. Okay. Okay. That's good. Okay. I believe you on that one for yeah. sure. <laughs> and so for him to say that, that he, Von Miller pushed him over the edge to, to get to where they were. I mean, it just got to make you excited because not only do you have the raw ability of, of a guy, sure. He's in, you know, the second half of his career, but still productive. Um, 
what he can do and bring to the younger guys, yes. to the Ed Olivers. Like you mentioned, Ed Oliver is a really solid player. He took a step up next, last season. Who knows where he can take a step up this next season? He'll never be an Aaron Donald. That was always kind of an unfair comparison. Oh, I hate, I hate it. Everyone's <laughs> always like, how come he doesn't get 15 sacks? I was told he would be like Aaron Donald. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> but what if he was like two-thirds of an Aaron Donald? Yes. Would you ever take that? Like, Yeah, absolutely. I would take that. That'd be a bit. Two-thirds of Aaron Donald is would be like amazing because 100% of Aaron Donald is a monster and game record, which, yeah, oh, that would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so it, it gets me excited at least for yeah. the rest of the defensive linemen, especially the young defensive ends, um, that, you know, have, have so much to learn. And, uh, it's almost like having another defensive, uh, and coach. I know they all attended the, the recent, uh, pass rush academy that, that he held too. So this is, yeah. this is all exciting, man. No, it's huge. And that, that summit that Von Miller like created and has every year, some of the best pass rushers in the league attend, you know, this year it was Vaughn and Max Crosby and Chandler Jones. And it's everybody talking about there. It's, it's so funny because it's such a like shift from how sports used to be. Like everybody used to like guard what they did. And like, like Jerry Rice's workout was legendary. Nobody did Jerry Rice's workout with Jerry Rice. And then he like let Terrell Owens do it. Everybody was like, Oh, this is huge. Like, cause he doesn't share anything. And like players didn't do that. And now it's like NBA and NFL and guys just get together and work out all summer and share tips and trade secrets and all this stuff on how to get better. And yeah, the Groot and Boogie and AJ were, were at the pass rush summit. And I think they, that's a huge piece with Von Miller. The, the on field thing is, is the initial thing. That's the initial draw, right? You've got a guy who is still a premier player at a premier position. He is a game changer and can get you a bucket and change a game in the blink of an eye. But what's also exciting is, you know, because of the youth that they have at edge with Rousseau and Boogie and AJ Epinesa, this potentially could be, you know, a move that pays it forward and is good investment for the long haul. Because if they can take in what Von Miller can teach them and how to prepare and how to approach the game and how to read things in game, then it's the, it's the old adage, you know, give a man a fish, you know, feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, feed him for a lifetime you might have three guys who are able to be fed for a lifetime off of Von Miller. And I, you know, I liken it to another time in Von Miller's career when DeMarcus Ware left Dallas and came to Denver and he bestowed all this knowledge and, and light upon a young Von Miller who was on the come up and Von Miller and DeMarcus Ware are still tight to this day. Von talks about it all the time, but DeMarcus Ware really kind of, you know, imprinted his knowledge and his learnings and lessons onto Von Miller and help Von take that jump. And it's very funny that you've got these three young guys with different potential levels and different ceiling levels. I don't think Rousseau, Basham, or Epinesa had the upside as a young Von Miller, but you still have a similar scenario where you've got this proven, legitimately still very good veteran coming into a position group filled with young potential, he can help mold that and kick it up a notch. That's something that can really, you know, the gift that keeps on giving and really pay it forward for years to come. Yeah, absolutely. I I love the fact that you mentioned it was definitely a faux pas to share whatever you were doing as if like you were giving away the secrets to the nuclear codes, right? Like just to be able to, but if you think about it in general, um, if you make somebody on their team better, you start making all of us better. Like it's a group, like everyone gets better as a result of it. That, Mm. that way, like in, in, you know, not so many terms, but like you get better at your job, you make more money. Like it's kind of like a conglomerative like effort. Like Mm. it's such a, it's kind of a cool thing that you just didn't see, 
you know, at least for me growing up, like, I mean, in sports in general, you mentioned several different leagues, but like in the NFL, like they just did the tight end university, right? Like that Mm -hmm. was like, what a cool idea. And that's what Dawson Knox was part of last season. And maybe it helped him, you know, take it to the next level, just the ability to work with these guys and, you know, good, good on the, on the older guys for trying to be mentors to these younger guys. Because I mean, you think about any profession, I mean, any profession that you might be in, whether you're a plumber, whether you're an accountant or a CPA or whatever, like Mm -hmm. it is good to have somebody who knows ropes that can teach that to you so that you, you know, you have less, uh, you make less mistakes when it comes time, you know, you learn from their mistakes, they teach you the ropes and, and you get better at that. I, I, I love the, the fact that they do that. I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's an understated way things that, things that have changed that help the, uh, the group as a whole, as opposed to, uh, you know, where they were as everything was all secretive, you know, and, and now, and now everyone benefits from it. And I think people are starting to say, Hey, that's, that's a good thing, you know? Yeah. And it, it's, it's changing the game all over just from like, especially we're sticking to football with it. Like you see, I mean, you see all these college coaching clinics where, you know, these top level college coaches are basically having like PowerPoint presentations and auditoriums for like any coach to attend. And that could be like a high school coach. It could be a coach in their own division that they compete against every year. Like you're putting your schemes and your playbook and your knowledge out in the open for people to learn from, but also for people to pick apart and figure out what you're doing. And yeah, it's just, you know, I think to like, like the third, granted Michael Jordan was a different level uh, of an athlete and it's just intensity, but like, I don't know, like, do you see Michael Jordan holding like a summit to be like, yeah, I want to help everybody get better. He'd be like, no, kick rocks. I want you all to fail and I'm going to make you look terrible. Like when we face, like he doesn't want anybody to get better. And that was very like, that's how a lot of professional athletes were. You didn't see guys like you even see it now in the off season, like players from different teams are training together at different facilities and different sites. And you know, the NFL combine, you see all these guys going to the Exos facilities and that's how they form relationships because they're all going to train for the combine and they become close and then they continue that on. And you've got guys from like, you know, the Vikings who work out with players from the bears who also work out with players from the Rams and work out with players from the Colts. And it's just, yeah, it's become really like a closer knit community and more of a brotherhood is everybody tries to help everybody get better. And it's not as much like Gollum trying to protect the ring um, and not let anybody see it or touch it. <laughs> Great analogy. Great analogy. Like even James Cook, like knowing who, you know, Devin Singletary is because he works out with them. I mean, college, college to professional level, just mm-hmm. working like that. That's awesome. I, I love the fact that these guys aren't doing it in their own basement by themselves, no matter what, like it's like a group, like we're all there. Oh, Hey, what's up? You know, maybe we'll play together someday or we'll cross yeah. paths again. It's, it's, kind yeah, of cool. it's, it's, a, it's a change. You didn't used to see the only time you saw players really do that would be like at the pro bowl when they would talk to each other for the first time and be like, Oh, you're cool. Like McNabb and to and it was like you're cool oh i think you're cool oh i think we should get you to come to philly and then they did granted it didn't work out well Um, but yeah you didn't really see you didn't really see that happen and now lines are being blurred all over the place and it's definitely interesting for the game and it pushes the game forward for everyone because like you said now like you have this opening of a box of knowledge and experience and technique and anybody who wants to partake in it can like if they just go to the source and go look for it Mm -hmm. and maybe they like share 75, 80% of it, maybe they don't share everything. They don't give yes. away all their trade secrets, but still to a, to a, a third year or a second year guy like Dawson Knox was last year. I mean, you give him, you know, 70% of George Kittle's knowledge all of a sudden, like, I mean, that's huge. That's huge. It's better than 0%, which is what he would have gotten had yes. he not gone there. Every um, little bit helps. Every single drop in the bucket helps. And especially when you're getting like, you know, you mentioned like the, if Ed Oliver can be two thirds of Aaron Donald and the same similar thing with Kittle, like you've got these guys who are elite. 
And even if you don't get a hundred percent of them, like 75% of George Kittle's knowledge is probably better than a hundred percent of the majority of tight ends in the league. So like that's still hugely helpful. Well, this has been such a great time talking with you, Anthony. I appreciate all your time that you've taken. Um, like I mentioned before, it, it was it, it, it was ad, as advertised, at least in my head, as advertised, because I had wanted to talk to you for some time, um, been following you for a long time, um, as you started to get on with Cover One, and as your career has succeeded in power, Cover One uh, on, on the podcast and on the YouTube channel, um, you guys are doing great things over there, as always. Um, where can they find all of your work on, you know, for your podcast and, and your YouTube channel? Where can they find, you know, your social media handles, TikTok, everything that you do? Sure. So you can find me on Twitter and TikTok at pro underscore underscore ant. That's pro two underscores A N T. I am the host of Disguise Coverage live every Wednesday at 7 p.m. on YouTube. And then once I'm done with the live stream, that gets uploaded to all the podcasting apps and platforms. I am also one of the three co-hosts of the Cover One Film Room live every Tuesday at 7 p.m., where we take a look at game tape. In the off-season, it's more like individual scouting pieces and holistic things. But in-season, you'll find us every Tuesday going over game film from the previous game and breaking down, you know, one side of the ball or certain aspects in the game that really decided the game or certain matchups or players um, and giving you guys really the breakdown of the X's and O's and the how's and why's behind, you know, what, what you're seeing on the field and why it's happening. Um, and that's me pretty much in a nutshell. And you can find me here anytime that you want to have me back. I, uh, I was super pumped when you reached out and I had a great time and, you know, we were kind of just chatting offline and, you know, I kind of dug your vibe from the beginning and then just being here live and recording, uh, I had a really great time. So anytime you want me back, you got me. Yeah, well, definitely. I will absolutely have to have you back on again. Again, this is the, the film buff, the true detective, the salary capologist, the, the Charlie, the looking for Pepe Sylvia in the mailroom guy. This is, uh, you know, Anthony from Cover One, Disguise Coverage, every single thing that he does, uh, truly, truly spectacular, truly amazing. Um, so glad to have you on. And uh, yeah, thanks again. No, thanks for having me, man. I had a great time. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to the Circling the Wagons podcast. Download and subscribe to us in your favorite podcast service. Email us at ctwpod at gmail.com. That's Charlie Tango Whiskey Pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at ctwpod. And most importantly, go Bills! Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills, mate. <laughs> More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.